So if you haven't figured it out already, we're beginning a new sermon series today. It's a short sermon series. It's only three weeks, but I hope that it's one that you'll remember for a long time. It's a sermon series about gratitude. Um, Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays in the world. It's not just because of food and football. Those are two of my favorite things in the world. But um, I love the fact that in our country that uh, the wisdom of our foremothers and forefathers that we uh, would have a day that always reminds us to, to focus and, and to be grateful, uh, I think is one of the most ingenious ideas ever. I don't know about you, but sometimes I live life and I'm not as grateful as I should be. And that's something that this season of the year always helps me to remember and to refine. Um, I guess my journey with loving Thanksgiving and and loving a season that reminds me to be grateful started several years ago when I was pastoring a church down in Fayetteville. There was a woman by the name of Earlene Patrick. Miss Patrick is almost 100 years old now. She's still alive and still active in the church, but... uh, Uh, She used to come by the church all the time. She would come by throughout the week, whether it be because there was an activity that was going on in the church, or she was just driving by the church and wanted to come in and say hello to us and just spend some time visiting. And, and, And Erling Patrick would say on a regular basis, you know, I have more things to be thankful for in my life that I would never be able to thank God enough. I don't know if you all know Miss Cecil Smith is a part of our church, but she's a lot like that as well. She comes in to our church on a regular basis, and she is always just bubbling over with gratitude for what God is doing in her life. And, and so it's, it's people like that in my life that started helping me to see that even though we all go through seasons of life that aren't good, even though we all go through moments in our lives where, where there may be things that we're not thankful for or not grateful for or can't express gratitude for, that if we look hard enough, there are always things, always things for which we could be grateful and so what Miss Patrick and people like Miss Smith do for me is they remind me that, that even on my worst day, I have things for which I could be thankful. And so after meeting Miss Patrick years ago, I, I began this a practice that I continue even to this day. Uh, maybe I shared it with you last year, I, I can't remember, but, but maybe you weren't here last year, or, or maybe like most of my sermons, you don't remember last year what I said. Um, But one of the things that I try to do every day is to give God thanks for something that I've either seldom thanked God for before or that I've never thanked God for before. I had one this morning almost right after I got up out of bed. I woke up this morning and I looked over at the clock on the wall and it said 7.55 a.m., I jumped out of bed thinking, oh Lord, they're going to have to listen to Jim Clardy preach today if I don't, <laughs> if I don't get dressed. And, uh, and it, it was, so I, I looked over as I was jumping out of bed thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to be late. And I realized that every other clock in the room was right. 
uh, the battery was dead on my clock in the wall. It must have stopped yesterday uh, at 7.55. I didn't realize it. So after I had a chance to catch myself this morning, I did something that I don't think I've ever done before. I thanked God that the battery was dead and that I wasn't going to be late for church this morning. Um, but there's, there's always something to be grateful for if, if we're looking for it, if we're searching for it, if we're mindful of it. I know I told you this last year because this is something else that I have started doing uh, as a result of a book I read several years ago. It's a book by the name of John Kralik, and um, he is an attorney, and he was getting ready to, to end his life. Life was so bad for him that he said, I just don't want to keep on living. And something within his spirit, while he was in this really, really dark place, said, why don't you just start looking for reasons to be grateful? Yes, your life is awful. There are so many things that that aren't going the way that you'd hoped or the way that you'd planned. But, But what if every Day, you sought to find something to be grateful for. And, and not only just looking for something to be grateful for, but when you have the opportunity, communicate that gratefulness either to God or to someone else. And so this attorney began to write a note every single day expressing gratitude to someone for something. It might be the way that the barista greeted him when he ordered his coffee. It might be the way a co-worker held the elevator open for him as he was trying to get up to his office. He just began to look for little things that he could be uh, express gratitude for to people. And the long story short is it changed his life. He went from a guy that thought that his life didn't have any meaning and wasn't worth living to a man who began to see so many things in his life to be grateful for, even during seasons of life when he had so many things that were going wrong. He ended up writing a book about this. And and while he does it every day, every day he writes this note. I don't do it every day, but every November I try to do the same thing. I try to just look for people to express gratitude to for. And I, I just send them a note and, and try to say thank you. And I still to this day try to pray for something every day that maybe I've seldom thanked God for or that I've never thanked God for. And I wonder, would you think about doing that during this season of Thanksgiving, during the month of November? As you look at your gratitude quotient, Is there a way that you could be more grateful? That would be the hope that I have from this sermon series uh, over the next three weeks, is that at the end of it, you and I might be more grateful for what God is up to in our lives and in the world. So I'd like to encourage you to do that. Look for something that you've seldom or never expressed gratitude to God for and, and thank God for it. And if there's an opportunity to thank someone else for something and express gratitude to them, then I hope you'll do that as well. Um, As I was preparing for the sermon today, uh, we talk about the sermon as a staff and 
kind of what the worship theme is going to be. And Reverend Martha uh, sent me a link to a website that had some really good information about gratitude. It helps our lives in so many positive ways. And um, I, I'm appreciative of this, but I lost an hour of my life because you start clicking on other links at that point and you jump into the rabbit hole of the Internet. And so I, I found all sorts of, of studies about gratitude. Uh, a study from the uh, University of California, San Diego, and the University of Sterling in Scotland. They looked at 186 stage B heart failure patients. Uh, one group in the study, they asked to keep a gratitude journal and write down three things every day for which they were thankful. The other group, they were not asked to keep a gratitude journal. And at the end of the eight weeks that they studied these folks, they found that the people who kept the journal were much less depressed, they slept better, and their heart markers actually were significantly better than the people who did not keep a gratitude journal. It seems as if that a more grateful heart is a more healthy heart. Um, There's a study about gratitude and sleep. Um, you know, if you're like me, a lot of times you go to bed and you're thinking about all the things I didn't get done today, or maybe all the things I've got to get done tomorrow, or, or all the to do, the, the checklist in your mind is just rolling, and, and, and it's hard to go to sleep. And if you're like me, I never sleep well on Saturday nights. Usually it's because Ole Miss lost, but we, um, but it's also because I'm so afraid that I'm going to uh, oversleep on Sunday morning. Now, I get up at 5 o'clock every day. I never, I mean, it was 5 o'clock this morning when I thought it was 7.55 when I rolled out of bed. But I'm constantly afraid because in my mind, before I go to sleep, I'm like, now tomorrow's Sunday, Tommy. You've got to make sure that tomorrow's the one day you don't oversleep. And, and, um, but if, you, if you instead you went to bed and, and you focused on the things that you're grateful for, do you think that would affect your sleep patterns? Studies suggest that it does. That if you go to bed and you begin to thank God for the many things in your life, you'll fall asleep before you uh, get through thanking God for the things that you have to thank God. Uh, Robert Emmons is a positive psychologist. He took three groups of people. One group did nothing out of the ordinary. The second group was asked to write in a journal once a week uh, that, that ten, ten things that they found frustrating about their life and ten things that they would like to change in their lives. And then the last group was supposed to write down things that they're grateful for. Um, and the end result was that the last group was 25% happier than the other two groups, the ones that did nothing and the ones that focused on all the things that they're not grateful for. So um, with that in mind, I I just want you to know that that there is a benefit for us trying to become more grateful. In our scripture lesson today, Jesus is on his way from the area of the Galilee, which if you're familiar with the geography, that's in the northern part of the Holy Land. And he's on his way to Jerusalem, which is in the southern part of the Holy Land. And in order to get from the northern part to the southern part, you have to either travel through or around a region called Samaria. We would know that region today as the West Bank. 
And if you remember the story of the Good Samaritan, you know that the Jews and the Samaritans didn't really like one another. Uh, They had a dislike that was very, very strong. And, And one of the reasons why that they disliked each other so much is that in 722, the Assyrian Empire came and went to battle with the northern tribe of Israel. So you remember there are 12 tribes of Israel. Ten of them are located in the north. And two of them are in the south. And the Assyrian Empire came and they, and they defeated the ten tribes in the northern part of the Holy Land. And after they defeated them, they wanted to weaken them so that they would never be able to retake possession of the land that they'd lost in, in the battle. And so what they did is they took people out of that region and then they forcibly moved them all over the Assyrian Empire so that they would be intermingled among the Assyrians. And, and this would weaken them. If, if they didn't have all of their people together, they couldn't rally and retake that land. And then they took Assyrians from all over the empire and they brought some of them and they put them in the land that they just defeated. Again, with the purpose of trying to weaken them. And what happens when you start intermingling uh, cultures and faith traditions is that the the result is is that they begin to take on some of the uh, similarities and some of the mores of that that foreign culture and those foreign faith traditions that had come into that they'd come into contact with and so the samaritans began to take on some of the assyrians faith traditions and the samaritans began to take on some of uh, the cultural uh, mores of the assyrians and, and a Jew that had not been intermingled like that looked at these Samaritans and said, you know, you've, given, you've, you've lost the essence of who we really are. You've, you've, you've sold yourself to the devil. And, and, and so there was this disdain between the Jews and the Samaritans. And so most Jews would even avoid Samaria. They'd walk a long way around it just to not have to go through it. But we're told that Jesus is walking and that he encounters ten lepers. Now, lepers is a a skin disease. It's it's like a general description of any number of skin diseases that would have been uh, prevalent in Jesus' day. Uh, Today, scholars believe that it's most closely akin to what we call Hansen's disease. And Hansen's disease is the slow-growing bacteria that begins to affect the skin and the eyes and the nerve endings in your appendages and also um, the inner lining of your nose. And it can lead to blindness and paralysis and all sorts of crippling um, results. And so we're told that Jesus encountered these ten lepers and we know that at least one of them was a Samaritan. We don't know about the other nine. Maybe they were all Samaritan, although I doubt it because I think the story would have indicated if there was ten Samaritans that there were ten Samaritans. But there was only one that we're aware of. 
chances are that there were some Jewish people that were in this leper colony because it, in Jesus' day, the Levitical law said that if you had this skin disease, they didn't know anything about it. They didn't know what caused it. They didn't know how contagious it was. And so when you had it, they basically just pulled you and made you leave your community and you had to go out all by yourself and you had to stay a far distance away from anybody else. Can you imagine a Jew and a Samaritan having to be together when they hated each other so much? But this disease even eliminated the barrier between Jews and Samaritans because it didn't matter what you were if you had leprosy. Nobody liked you. Nobody wanted to be around you. And so these are are people that Jesus encounters. And they cry out to Jesus for help. And Jesus tells them to get up and to go to show themselves to a priest. Now what that was about is that if you did have leprosy, before you could re-enter the community, before you could rejoin all of your friends and family, uh, there had to be no evidence of that leprosy anymore. And you had to actually go to a priest um, to be cleared, to be checked. I'm so glad we don't have to do that anymore. I don't want to see y'all's nasty stuff when I go visit you in the hospital. Why is it that when I go, you want to pull up your hospital gown and say, look at this, and I'm... I didn't sign up for that, y'all. But, but, but in the story, that's what you had to do. If you were a priest and somebody had a, a disease of some kind, they had to go to the priest and they had to show themselves to be clean before they could rejoin uh, the group. And so uh, the scripture says is that they got up and they were obedient. They did what Jesus said. They went to the priest. And it says that while they were on the way, they were healed. It's as if our obedience brings about a healing to us that was not possible for these lepers before they were obedient. It was their act of obedience and going to that priest that they found healing. And it says that one of those persons who was a Samaritan turned around and went back to Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed this. I see it a lot when we, um, when we help people in the church. When, when you help a lot of people, they never come back again until they need more help, you know? Uh, they don't come back a week later and say, thank you for that food box you gave me. Sometimes they do, but most of the time they don't. They, they take what you have to give them, they take what they need, and then they leave and they never come back. Well, 90% of the people that Jesus healed that day did exactly that. They got what they wanted, they got what they needed, and they left and they never came back. But one of them did. A Samaritan came back and he not only thanked God it, or thanked Jesus, it says that he glorified God for what he had just experienced. He was so grateful. He glorified God and he thanked Jesus. And Jesus said, well, were there not 10 people that I healed? Where are the other nine Have you ever thought about where the other nine were? Why why didn't they come back? What were they doing? I mean, I 
I suspect that they were so happy that they were able to rejoin family and friends and loved ones that they hadn't been around and hadn't been able to see for a long time. And, and they were so focused on the future and uh, going back to work and getting back with your family and doing all these things that I, I don't know that they were just so ungrateful, but it was just like, I'm not going to think about the past anymore. Now I've got my whole life ahead of me and I just want to focus on the future, but 90% of the people didn't come back, and I wonder, what would that, what would we do in that situation? I mean, I'd like to think that all of us would be the one, the 10%, the one person, right, that after receiving this gift of healing would go back and express gratitude to Jesus for it. I'd like to believe that, and yet, if you're anything like me, if I'm not intentionally focusing on being grateful for things in life, I will go through a lot of things without ever expressing gratitude to God or to Jesus for it. Um, maybe if it was something as big as being healed of a skin disease, we'd all go. But I suspect that all of us have had other times in our lives where we had reason to be grateful, and yet we did not express gratitude to God. I know one of the things that gets me mad, if I let you in front of me in traffic, throw up the hand and say thank you, right? Is it too much to ask? Is it? I mean, it's like I'm supposed to let you in front. There's no thank you. There's no flashing in the lights to say, you know. Uh, most of the time we go through life and things happen for which we should express gratitude and we often don't. Well, Jesus says to this one who came back, you get up and you go, and your faith has healed you. Now, Jesus has already healed him. In fact, Jesus healed all ten of those lepers. So he's already been healed. Why in the world would Jesus tell him that his faith has now healed him? The fact that he came back and expressed gratitude and that's why it's helpful to know what this word healing, it's sozo. And it's a word that not only means healing in the Greek, but it also means to be delivered. It also means to uh, be saved. It also means uh, to be made whole. And so what Jesus is saying here is that all ten of you were healed of your disease but only one of you was made whole. Only one of you was delivered. Only one of you was saved. And do you know why? Because they expressed gratitude. May we be more grateful people.